Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The world of media moves fast, and marketers have to keep up in a complicated landscape. Viacom CBS IQ makes buying easy with one simple digital video solution that's built for brands. Viacom CBS IQ allows marketers to reach incremental audiences at scale in brand-safe, high-impact environments. Combined with Viacom CBS's IP-fueled creative capabilities and vast social footprint, IQ Video will deliver your message alongside unmatched, culture-defining, live and on-demand content to 60 million monthly full episode viewers. For more, visit ViacomCBS.com IQ. That's ViacomCBS.com E-Y-E-Q. Viacom CBS IQ. Look into it today. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Ad Week Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Ad Week. Uh, Co-M, our co-host, is not with us this week because we have a packed uh, table, virtual table here, representing all the best parts of the world. We've got London, we've got Scotland, we've got Florida. Mm-hmm. Right, Shannon? Or- <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, we're really covering, and me in Alabama. So, okay, we really just have two regions, two regions covered here. Um, but I am joined by uh, our our uh, international coverage team and our creative coverage team, uh, which has expanded considerably in uh, recent uh, weeks and months. Uh, and so, I'm excited to have everyone on board. Just kind of introduce everyone real quickly here. Sarah Sperry has been with us uh, for I think uh, over a year now, right, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I started just as London went into lockdown, so it's been a year now. <laughs> That's right. Wow. So Sarah uh, works with me most days covering uh, creativity from around the world, especially in the UK market and Europe. Uh, and her uh, coverage is just such a fun read on adweek.com. So Sarah, thank you so much for making time for us. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. We've also got Shannon Miller, who is our uh, somewhat new, I think you're a few weeks in now, uh, senior editor for creativity and representation. Shannon has been writing for Adweek for a long time and is is one of my favorite writers that I've ever gotten to work with on a freelance basis, and we have finally suckered her into joining us full-time here at Adweek. <laughs> Shannon, welcome to Adweek officially, and thanks for joining the podcast. It is really great to be back. Thank you very much for having me in an official capacity now. 
Yeah. What was the last time I remember you and I like derailing an entire podcast to talk about Lovecraft Country? I don't remember what the topic was supposed to be, but it's <laughs> it's dangerous to have Shannon and I in the same Slack room and or podcast. Uh, but uh, Shannon, you were previously at AV Club uh, and you run your own podcast. Tell us, remind us about it. Um, yeah, it is Nerds of Prey. Um, it is a podcast that is home by three black women talking about um, nerd culture from our unique perspectives. Um, and a lot of times those conversations get derailed as well. So I am probably the common denominator in that. Um, so yeah, talking about everything from comics to television to film, music, whatever crosses our plate. And uh, our newest uh, team member, although we've all known him for a considerably long time, Stephen Lepetak, our UK bureau chief as of this week, as we record this. Uh, Stephen, you're outside of Glasgow, right? I am not far outside of Glasgow, but yeah. Not not in Glasgow. Nice. And uh, Stephen has a very long storied reputation in the ad industry, in the ad journalism world, uh, has been covering this for quite a while uh, and is such a it's just so great to finally have you on the team and to not be uh, your arch, you know, not to have you as my arch nemesis anymore. This is great. We actually get to get along. <laughs> you make me feel so old, though. I feel so old with that introduction. Hey, just embrace it. It's, you know, veteran status is hard earned. Um, But today we're going to be talking about um, basically what we've seen. I will be candid. The real goal of this podcast is just these are some folks we haven't gotten a chance to introduce uh, our listeners to. um, But also because partly because of time zones, we've got Sarah is way over in London, um, but uh, and Co is in Seattle. So we've got a bit of a stretch between our, uh, our potential guests. But uh, these are folks that I work closely with each day and who have a huge impact on Adweek's coverage and have been keeping a really close eye on these industries that we cover each day. So with that, I wanted to kind of set the stage by just talking about what trends we're seeing uh, creatively uh, and, and you know, for – I think each of us has been covering some – you know, branch of marketing creativity in each of our jobs for quite a few years now, for, for several years. And uh, I think we've all seen where things are, are changing. Um, Sarah, you've, like I said, you've been here for about a year now, but you've been covering marketing long before that. What, what kinds of stories, what kinds of issues do you see cropping up more often, whether it's in the UK or in Europe or just more generally globally? Yeah, so it's, it's been quite a strange year because when I started this job, the whole world was just becoming gripped by this pandemic and London had just gone into lockdown. And um, I think that brands and agencies have been really struggling uh, to get the right messages across. Um, and I think they've been doing a really good job, but trying to get across uh, empathy whilst also being quite relatable. So lots of the ads that have stood out to me have been the ones that I thought, yeah, that kind of says a bit about what my life is like right now. Um one recent example was it wasn't actually a genuine brand ad. It was an ad created on spec for KitKat. And I don't know if you know of this one. It went quite crazy across LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, it showed a blocked out Google calendar with Zoom, endless Zoom meetings. And in the middle, it just had KitKat, a picture of a KitKat, which perfectly communicated the fact that everybody desperately needs a break. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, it's very strange times we found ourselves living in. I feel like we're this has almost been like a golden age of spec. Like Stephen, I feel like we've seen like remember the Guinness poster last year that everyone thought was real, and it was just like that one. It was just a one minute brief, but it was just so good, so so relatable because maybe because it didn't go through the marketing machine. Yeah, and I think it just speaks to the brilliance of one minute briefs. That every year it seems as though something like that just captures the that well the attention of the industry, but also reaches public uh, the public consciousness as well. Um, they've had a phenomenal run of late, but the, the KitKat work was brilliant. Yeah, I remember just the thousands of shares or whatever that thing got on LinkedIn was was bananas. Um, the I think I think Sarah, you raise a really fantastic point. Is this this constant struggle between empathy and relatability? Because it is certainly too it's certainly easy to go too far down the empathy rabbit hole. Where and and we all remember this from the early days of lo- of of quarantine, lockdown, advertising, right? Where everything was like in these uncertain times. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We are here for each other, and it just got so old so fast. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't, you don't have to make me miserable in every ad. I feel as though the UK were absolutely crying out to get comedy back into our ads. It's still not, still not really come back. And I was thinking about this last week when, um, when Walker's Crisps was released a new new ad campaign with the comedian Asim Chowdhury, and it's quite funny. It's a nice ad, but. It stands out to me because there's just not a lot of comedy in, in the creative work at the moment. And I think people are desperate for that to, to come back. I, I, I think like it, comedy is fine. It's when you get into trying to be provocative that I think brands need to like maybe show even more restraint than usual because we are all like on this edge, right? Like we've, we're all at, at you know, 99 out of 100 anxiety level at all times. And so when Burger King, you know, did their their Women's Day stunt that was, uh, you know, women, a woman's places in the kitchen, and they tweeted that from the Burger King UK account, uh, which was based on a print ad that kind of paid off that as a headline a little more quickly, although it's still probably not a great idea. But, you know, that really blew up. And I think their defense was just like, what? We're just trying to like, you know, it, it was it's a tactic that I don't think ever would have been beloved, but I don't think we're in a place right now where you can just like kind of mess with people's um, emotions because, you know, versus like, but yeah, make a joke. Sure. And I think marketers had a hard time in the early days of, of finding that line. Right. <laughs> and they were like, we can't make jokes. Yeah, you can. Just don't be dicks. Oh, well, all I was going to say was, and I think you alluded to that there uh, and that. The campaign from Burger King just did not work as a tweet. What were they thinking going with it? I mean, generally the idea dubious anyway, but when you saw it as a as a piece of print, and they actually they had the headline "Women's Places in the Kitchen," but then they explained it all, so it was all self contained. But in Twitter, it was it was all chunks, so it just didn't make sense to go with Twitter as that. And I think they really shot themselves in the foot by by going Twitter first. And I think even just as an execution in general, if the base, if the foundation of your of your strategy is let's rile up this marginalized group, maybe rethink um, because that that messaging can be pretty triggering in a lot of ways. I, I think it's clever, like in in the copy. Um, but you also just have to think about, okay, is this worth it? Is kicking this hornet's nest worth it? And I, I, it would help, um, you know, agencies to maybe take that step back before we, we execute anything like that again. Yeah. Shannon, I completely agree. I also think that, you know, Burger King is a very pally brand, but I think in this instance, completely 
overestimated just how much people perceive <laughs> Burger King to be like a friend that can take the piss on Twitter, basically. And I think that uh, that's always a risk. And I think that's just a perfect example of taking it too far. Um, people love the brand, but they don't love it that much. Not where it can take those type nuance, <laughs> get involved in those sort of nuanced debates where people are so, um, as you say, really, some some people are very triggered by that. And yeah, miscalculation, I think. It's it's it, not to derail into a Burger King conversation um, because they certainly still do a lot of, of really strong advertising, but it's been such a weird year. I was thinking about this the other day of like, what Burger King has done over the past year after this like epic run, right? Like this, this truly phenomenal, almost back to their kind of uh, mid two thousands level uh, award-winning mega work and stuff. But then you think about this past year, they kicked off last year with Moldy Whopper, which I'm not going to subject everyone through another discussion of that one, but like, I get it. I think it's, I think it's interesting, but again, you're basically telling all of your customers, like, look at our food just rotting and then, okay, sure. Then they did uh, a very stunty one a little later in the year, which I don't think got a lot of visibility, but it upset me personally, um, where they were basically telling people to go to abandoned locations of competitor um, fast food places and like check in there and you'd get a free Whopper. They're basically making fun of these failed businesses. And one of them was in my town, Birmingham, Alabama, which has a, a long history of economic struggles. We're doing, I mean, in a lot of ways very well, but in certain neighborhoods. Uh, and these are complicated issues right like shannon and i both keenly know when you get into the you know the geopolitics and the socioeconomics of the south you are talking about race like you are talking about poverty you are talking about systemic prejudice and things and that's the thing is like burger king sometimes just stumbles into these things like hey look at all these abandoned fast food places i'm like yeah from an economically devastated neighborhood good point i don't right. think you necessarily need to send people to drive there and make fun of them um and then, and then to go, you know, and then to have um, the the Women's Day thing. That's like three. I'm not gonna say all of those were stumbles, but just like, are they just pushing things just to push them at this point? And and to my point, the reason I bring all that, all that is because again, I think this is not the year to provoke people. I think it is the year to sure be edgy, have fun, uh, but like recognize that you are provoking people at a time where they are already in the red. Mm -hmm. uh, Shannon, what, you know, we've talked a bit about the UK and I, I do want to go back to global in a minute, but, uh, you know, you're a few weeks into, to Adweek, what trends are you seeing already just in the stuff that is maybe even surprising to you and just what a theme it is for creative coverage? <clears throat> um, I'm going to say a sentence that I never thought I'd say. I've been writing a lot about sports lately and it's been, it's, been kind of incredible to watch unfold and this could totally be confirmation bias like you you write about one thing and then suddenly this this flood of related material kind of comes in either you know via pitch or just sort of what's on your radar but um i wrote about that one international piece um havas lisbon did that uh creative where they turned like their top three uh, newspapers into infographics that show just how little women's athletes are covered. And it's like huge blocks of, you know, male coverage, male coverage, male coverage, and then like little specs where they may have mentioned a, a female athlete. I'm um, trying to push for more equitable coverage of um, 
between men and women athletes. And since then, um, we've seen ads coming from Gatorade, from um, Schmidt's Natural Deodorant. Uh, there was, you can actually even take it as far back um, as the Super Bowl when E-Trade did this very cute commercial where um, you have this boy idolizing this wrestler and this wrestler is a black woman, which um, is, they don't really harp on it. They don't really mention it. It's not her race nor her gender are really part of the overall story, but just having that visual representation of this little boy idolizing this female athlete, I think that there is um, sort of this understanding that brands can leverage their platforms to provide a little bit more equitable treatment um, in in sports specifically. So, um, which is interesting to me because back... <laughs> Back in my day, the usually when there's um, you have your go to athletes that are your, you know, your big that do your big endorsements and your one woman was Mia Hamm. That was pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) So to have um, these different images of of different athletes, um, Abby Wambach, uh, Megan Rapinoe sort of take the reins in sort of female representation is, is pretty cool. I would love to see more of a, uh, of a variety of, you know, in terms of race. Um, I would love to see women that are in the WNBA because they've been sort of beating this drum for longer than I've been alive. Um, but I think it's very interesting that there seems to be this rally, this sort of rallying cry about like, you know, treat, female athletes a little bit more equitably and ads are a great way to kick that off. Yeah, I feel like maybe not in terms of dollars, but in terms of visibility and, and at least just acknowledging them, I feel like brands have been better supporters of women in sports than, you know, than, than largely the media, than uh, broadcasters, than um, the sport leagues themselves, for sure. Uh, Shannon wrote up a piece the other day about the NCAA um, tournament, uh, March Madness, which, who I have to admit, I learned a lot uh, reading up about this, the fact that March Madness, like the NCAA considers that to only be men's basketball. Like mm-hmm. they don't consider the women's tournament part of officially March Madness, which is wild. Um, there was a video that went viral of one of the uh, Oregon athletes um, talking about their very, very unequal uh, training facilities. <laughs> the men had unlimited resources and the women had literally one weight rack. Uh, and it was not an issue of space because they had tons of space. But uh, the what was fascinating to me about that is that her video went viral, what, 10 million plus views within a few hours. And then uh, and then it was a brand that stepped in. Now, I don't know if they actually ended up taking them up on that offer at all, but Orange Theory Fitness, which, of course, uh, generally you know targets women, um, they stepped up and said, hey, you can use the, any of the women's teams. You can use our facilities. We'll bring you equipment to the location. You know, you shouldn't have to go through this. And it was just one of those things like when you see brands responding faster than your own league that represents mm-hmm. your sport. Like, it's just so wild. Uh, and I don't know. It, it, are for 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 you you two in the UK do you feel like the representation the portrayal of women in sports is changing globally too is it mostly in america what are you seeing um from my perspective certainly the coverage 
in the last five years of women's sports uh, in Europe has grown and grown. I mean, it's night and day compared to what it was probably just five years ago. And I think that's recognition that there's an audience there. Brands can tap into that audience as well. But I mean, women's sport is growing uh, in ways that I, I just wouldn't have expected. Uh, Sarah, how do you feel about it? I think, yeah, there's definitely been a massive increase, massive focus, more airtime given over to women's sports for sure. And I also think looking at advertising more generally has been a huge push to better show uh, the reality of life as a woman. So I'm going back a few years here, but with the This Girl Can campaign, I think really kicked that off. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, And Sport England, uh, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago now, they put out this free image library to be used by marketers um, for free, royalty free, um, showing real women exercising. Um, so people um, of different races, of different abilities, just to try to really better represent <laughs> the reality of being a woman and exercising. Because I think historically it's been pretty poor, really, the way that it's been shown. I mean, not everybody's an athlete and not everybody's, <laughs> you know, a model. So I think there's been great, great movements towards that. Can I ask a question that maybe is ignorant uh, geographically, but like when we talk about soccer, football, um, I feel like I never hear, like in America, when you talk about uh, soccer, you're talking about women's soccer, because <laughs> that's what we're good at. <laughs> you know, that's, you're almost never talking about the men's teams. I, I feel like as someone who's been covering uh, global marketing for a while, I feel like I never hear about women in, in football, in you know, in Europe and in the UK, is that just me having a huge blind spot? Or I feel like we run, we write about ads or we get pitched ads every single day with football stars. And it's, it feels like I could not name a woman in, in football in the UK. Is that on me or is there, is there an imbalance there? Uh, I mean, from my point of view, it's, it's still early days in terms of these athletes gaining the prominence that they actually deserve. Um, I'm lucky enough to actually know the the chief executive of the Scottish uh, Women's uh, the Scottish uh, Women's Football Association because she is a former marketer, and uh, I mean the work that they're doing to try and really grow the sport is phenomenal because it's working, it's catching fire, but. In terms of internationally, uh, these these athletes have yet to, to gain that prominence. But the way it's gone, uh, it could well happen. And I mean, I'm hopeful that we see a, a lot more of it because it's wonderful to have that that representation. And it's happening more on television. So the the coverage we now have uh, women commentators, which five ten years ago wasn't a thing, uh, and the 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 women footballers are starting to become. Uh, well, they're starting to become pundits. So they're talking about men's football. The men, uh, retired male footballers are starting to commentate on women's football. Uh, they're trying to merge it a lot better than it has been, but there's still a long way to go. Well, that uh, Sarah started to mention something that I definitely wanted to make time to talk about because this is the trend I'm personally most excited about, and I think it's uh, it's been really fantastic to watch this grow, is just how stigmas are addressed in advertising, right? And specifically, in this case, stigmas against women, <laughs> of which I would argue most stigmas are probably stigmas against women. Um, the... <laughs> Sarah, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong or if you if you just disagree on this, but I feel like it really started with uh, with Blood Normal, mm-hmm. uh, with Essity's Blood Normal campaign, which of course won a Glass Lion um, and 
got a lot of attention, but I feel like that, you know, logistically that ad got a lot of attention. Um, SD Brands, I should point out, as I try to always do, is, is not a brand that people are generally aware of here in the UK. It's a parent company that includes Bodyform and Labress and like 70 other brands, but most of which are not sold in America. Um, but there, you know, that ad got a lot of attention logistically because most of the scenes in the ad trying to depict realistic de- portrayals of uh, of periods of menstruation, uh, like almost every single one ended up being blocked by uh, broadcast standards folks. Um, but specifically, showing blood, showing red period blood versus showing blue. <laughs> blue liquid in a in a tube or whatever um but sarah did you feel like that was kind of a turning point yeah i really do um like you said you know this ad i think it was maybe 2017 or 18 now when that first one came out you know it came out in the context of other adverts about periods and period products using images of women wearing tight white (laughs) trousers to show just how effective the products were and using this creepy blue gel to show period blood so I don't think it can be overstated just how much of a turning point that was really in advertising and I think that it raised quite a lot of awareness of the issue of just how much we actually censor uh, the reality of women's life in our society uh, in both countries that we're talking about here but also advertising does play quite a key role in doing that unfortunately Um, but ever since that campaign they've had a few more out there was the Viva La Volva one featuring, I think it was about 100 singing vaginas, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. Um, and then just a couple of weeks ago now, they had a whole campaign out around endometriosis, which is a debilitating disease that affects, I think it's something like one in 10 women worldwide, but it's not talked about. And I think it's something like seven and a half years before a woman gets diagnosed with the condition. So The brand has definitely continued to tackle these taboo topics. And I think it's really important that they're doing that. I think that because uh, it's body form here in the UK, because it it is an intimate product and it has that connection with female consumers, I think it makes it an authentic topic for it to talk about. But I think that it's really hard for brands to get in on these conversations in an authentic way. Um, But interestingly... I think when the endometriosis ad came out and, and in, indeed actually when the blood normal ad came out, not everybody loved it. There's quite a lot of people that didn't like it, quite a lot of women that didn't and thought that that was going a bit too too close to the bone in terms of exposing what it's like to, to be a woman. But on the other hand, you've got people that have just really celebrated it and said, you know, yes, let's start talking about, you know, real life here. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to keep talking about stigma because I feel like we've barely even scratched the surface of this and it's such an important topic. So we will be uh, right back after this break. Trying to reach incremental audiences in the evolving streaming landscape? Viacom CBS's IQ Video makes it easy with a unified digital video solution that grants you access to Viacom CBS's powerful portfolio of content and digital platforms including Pluto TV and Paramount+. Plus. Viacom CBS IQ, one simple solution built for brands reaching 60 million monthly full episode viewers. For more, visit ViacomCBS.com slash IQ. That's ViacomCBS.com slash E-Y-E-Q. 
So when we left off, we were talking about stigmas in advertising, um, specifically stigmas against women, of which most of them are. And that some of these go back, uh, honestly, to the beginning of, of advertising, <laughs> literally to the beginning of it. Uh, advertising notoriously like uh, vague, I guess is the nice way to put it, about women's issues, uh, about menstruation, especially about just about anything. Uh, just God forbid you actually say the words and talk about it. Shannon, one of those that has come up uh Especially recently, uh, Sarah covered this, um, but it's it's popped up uh, in both the U.S. and and in the U.K. is breastfeeding. Uh, you know, this is another topic where, going back many years, uh, social platforms have really kind of been a key factor in this. Is that they do not like nipples, even though we have, we've all got them. Uh, most of us have a spare, uh, but uh, they. They uh, have never allowed them. And so, of course, TV broadcast generally does not either. This has been a big holdup for things like breast cancer awareness uh, and, God forbid, I mean, just many other things. Um, But breastfeeding, just showing it in a just a normal way, even if you don't show the nipples, like just showing it as a natural process, showing people actually doing it, it just is still weirdly unheard of in marketing. It's almost never allowed in social platforms. They've gotten a little better. Uh, A UK brand, Tommy Tippy, right, was the name of the brand? Um, they, Sarah wrote up how Tommy Tippy, uh, ran an ad in, uh, the UK, uh, that was very just, I think they called it raw, right? Sarah, this was kind of the way they described it. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They called it raw. I think unapologetic as well might have been the word they used to describe it. And just showing breastfeeding, like the reality of breastfeeding. And, and of course, to do that, you can't blur things. You can't show you know, you can't cover everything up. Uh, and it's it's a great ad. Anyone who's been through parenting knows these are just like menstruation. It's just a, a daily reality of life. And it's so weird that ads like refuse to acknowledge that these things happen, especially that they happen to women every day. But then it also came to America with uh, Freedom Mom, which I believe started in Sweden, but they do most of their advertising here in America. And they basically ran almost the exact same ad, uh, coincidentally, like two days later, and they ran it during the Golden Globes. Shannon, do you feel like are we finally kind of ready as a culture to move past this dumb block or, you know, I don't know where, where, where do you feel about this trend? Well, it's interesting. I, in some ways I feel like we are, where we are, we are inching forward um, towards something that's a little bit more normalized. Um, It's not lost on me that the, when we do see these sort of casual occurrences of breastfeeding, that they are occurring in international um, ads like with the Nike um, maternity wear ad that we recently covered that was based in the UK, I believe. Um, yeah, it's out of wide in London, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, so, and in, in that particular spot, um, it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't a huge focus. It was another moment that occurred in this ad, like randomly in between shots of these women working out, there is this woman breastfeeding. It was very normalized. There was not a ton of energy placed on that. And I think that that was amazing that that was happening. I I would love to say that the American market is inching towards that, that we are getting to an area where we're recognizing um, breastfeeding as this sort of just this natural thing. Um, I think it's going to come down to whether or not we see it more after um, Freedom Mom. And if we can break the American market, that I think is going to be pretty monumental um, because the only times that you really see it stateside um, are when it's a moment of advocacy 
when it's meant to be radical and in your face. And it would be great for us to get to an area where like, it's just part of a Johnson and Johnson ad, or it's just part of, um, you know, even a formula ad, um, just something that really shows that it is just something that's very normal. Um, so it's going to really depend on, for me anyway, it's going to really depend on how we see it um, flourish um, in the American market. But UK and Europe is, seems to already kind of be heading in that direction. I I have a, I have a question that's semi-related for Sarah and Stephen, and I didn't prep this one for you in advance, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is even a political question. You haven't prepped your, any of this? Yeah, it's a, it's a valid point. Um, the... Uh, the advertising it's called the ASA, right? The Advertising Standards yeah. Authority. We don't have an equivalent of this. So I should explain to Americans who aren't deep in advertising is that we don't have this body that oversees advertising. Broadcasters are basically left to self-police um, so that <laughs> so that we don't end up with a body like that. That's, that's honestly why brands self-police themselves here is so that the government never steps in. Um, the what what's the take on the ASA? It feels like they're kind of notorious for they'll take down an ad that got five complaints, right? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Let Stephen say what he thinks. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I mean, if they get one complaint, they have to look at it. It's whether or not they uphold the complaint. So they have to consider whether or not that complaint is valid before they spend time and effort actually reviewing it. But um, I mean, they get more complaints than than ads that they ban. So I think they they. I think they have a, they still have a worthwhile role. Uh, it's when they... I mean, there have been cases where some brands have even created ads to cause that furor to get mm. attention from it as well. So, I mean, the ASA, it plays a role and it's there to try and make sure that uh, what is said in advertising is true. And unfortunately, because the trust in advertising is at an all-time low currently, these guys have to, have to exist to make sure that we don't just have brands stating whatever they want to say. So while, I mean, there's a lot of criticism of them, they, they're they there for a reason. Do you feel, Sarah, do you, I mean, do you feel like they're changing a bit in the sense of being a little less um, what we would call, I guess, puritanical, but just mm. less about enforcing stigma and more about, to Stephen's point, enforcing, like, mm. <laughs> accuracy, I guess? I mean, to be fair, um, I think, like, lots of regulatory bodies, they don't really have a vast amount of... Um, I'd say they don't have teeth per se. They really do work with advertisers to make them comply. So, and they ha they have to act when they get a complaint. So it's largely driven by consumers, um, and then they'll have to investigate and just make sure. And if if an ad has breached their rules, they will go to the advertiser and they'll ask them to to change it. So they don't often sort of take ads down. It's more that they work behind the scenes. I think. Am I right in that, Stephen? I think that's yeah. They they have something called the um well there's a, a kind of side organization called CAP which will work with agencies to to try and make sure that what they're creating will not breach the code. But there has been an, uh, some anom anomalies where uh, some agencies that have worked with CAP have still been banned down the line. So uh, they do have an arm that that does try to help, but even that comes into criticism. 
Well, we've got so much more we could talk about, but unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, so I just encourage everyone, keep an eye on adweek.com. We've got a lot more international coverage. We're growing that team even further. Uh, Stephen's a big part of that. Sarah's a big part of that. Uh, and then, of course, Shannon is really going to be building out our creative coverage here in America uh, in a lot of really exciting ways. So keep an eye on adweek.com. Thank you, Shannon, Sarah, Stephen, for joining. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Uh, our theme music is by Home. This week's episode is produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. If you have not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, you can reach the Time Podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Uh, for Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there. Are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.